Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Tint. This is a kind of a fun thing. We've got the takeover. I guess we call it a takeover or whatever, or special guests the uh, the aquarium guys do we do we want to call it a takeover or are you just kind of like hanging with me tonight i, I don't know that's what we'll do right? we've had a takeover in our podcast and that's we weren't even yeah. allowed to join it so uh <laughs> since you're here we're just gonna call a special <laughs> guest i'm just i'm here we're, we're here so this is kind of a fun one because as, as you know um, at least our listeners know that we generally it's pre-recorded or we just have free-for-alls with guests which is the way to do it and that's what we're doing with you guys because you guys are probably the most fun people to have on a podcast or to be on a podcast. Oh, you and stop this it now. This is his I, second well, podcast. <laughs> guaranteed to get good enough. No, but I, you know, what's fun too is because you guys have developed, uh, my my crowd is now familiar with you guys and you've developed like a real community before. Did you do the community before the podcast or was it the podcast started and the community grew up around it? Or how did you guys do that? Well, I mean, before we get too far, number one, I, I'm Rob Zolson, and we have my co-host, yeah. uh, Jim Colby. Say hi, sorry, Jim. Guys. Hey, Jim. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going? He's, have, he's got beers open. I have no tell. beer open that you can see. <laughs> that I can see. Nice. Anyways, nice. Uh, so yeah, we have the Aquarium Guys podcast. It's uh, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. And no, we started the podcast. Um, I, I literally, I, I wanted dare. to get into podcasting, and I uh, uh-huh. have a couple different hobbies in my life. Fish has always been there, but I wanted right. to do something uh, that I, f- I th- originally thought would have more prowess. So I, I picked Magic the Gathering as my <laughs> test subject to figure out. It was not it was not just to have a, a broadcast. It was just to see how I could do podcasting because I wanted to research it. I think mm-hmm. podcasting is a fantastic platform. I've been a fan of many podcasts for years. And mm-hmm. uh, decided to get the equipment, really dive into it, see how what it takes to make a studio quality podcast. And I did that and had some, you know, some success, but it was all just for learning. And then I wanted mm-hmm. to take it seriously and do it for aquariums. Aquariums has always been my passion. I've done it since I can remember. And mm-hmm. Jim um, happens to be my neighbor. He's also one of my uh, dearest of best friends. Oh, that's and awesome. He's been doing this now probably as a business for what? 30 years. Right. Way too damn wow. long. You've been um, podcasting for 30 years, Jim? No, or, no. Or, or no, no. aquarium for this. This man, he's like, what's a podcast? I, I, I couldn't. I, I mean, <laughs> they, they didn't let me do a podcast from the covered wagon when I first moved to town. No, <laughs> right. no smoke signals. No that smoke was, That was his thing. But no, so we, I, I talked him into it. It took some pressure. Like You, su- you sucked me into it. We got we to gotta do this podcast, man. We'll we got to do, do this a- podcast, man. It was like three months of me like egging on him because he's got such a personality, you know? Yeah, and then I I got him over here, and then he realized he likes listening to himself. So I oh, just, I do. <laughs> what more can you want? It's kind of like when I have sex. I usually yell at my own name because I'm usually by myself. <laughs> Colby, go. Uh, <laughs> go Jim, go go. <laughs> Someone's got to do the talking, right? <laughs> now, you, you know what, what's what's funny though is that since I've been doing my my own ghetto podcast using Anchor, which is like the primitive lowbrow software, but it works. I get emails from people. They say, "Oh, your your voice is so relaxing. It makes me feel, you know, gets me going in the morning or oh, whatever." Absolutely. I'm like, I'm like, how weird is that? Because I think I sound like I have a stuffy nose when I'm doing it. But podcasting, you know, 
I wanted to talk to you about that first before anything else, just simply because I think it's such a powerful medium right now. You know, everybody has a voice and so many great people in the hobby kind of, you know, don't like to write necessarily, but they can talk. And I think it's really cool that guys like you have kind of elevated it a little bit and it's, it's pretty inspiring. You know, you've inspired me. I'm like, Oh man, I really have to up my game because I, the podcast for me has always been sort of a, a secondary outlet to my writing, but more people communicate, more people get their, content from podcasts now and you guys are spot on i, I can't uh, d disagree with any of that i mean yeah podcasts <laughs> of uh you know they started on when they, like, that's the whole ipod branding uh it started a long time ago but they really took off in this last what six years you know we have the joe rogan's yeah. of the world taking over yep. uh you know bigger than news media and it's just yeah. making it an easier more swallowable media when people drive in the car i mean that's that's when Yep. These things get listened to is uh, on the go when they're just wanting to exactly. unwind and hear a sexy, soothing voice talking about being wet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. You well, know, I, I just read an article. Content on demand. I just read an article today that uh, Bob Ross, and we all know who Bob Ross is. He's the famous mm -hmm. painter on PBS. That his um, he's been dead for over twenty years, but if you watch him on PBS painting, uh, he's got a soothing voice. <laughs> I thought he was still alive. No, That's he's awesome. been he's he's been is dead for. Is that the for... guy that goes? Is that the guy that goes Happy Little Trees? That's Happy right. Happy Little, little Trees. Happy yeah, Little yeah, Trees. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. And and yeah, like... anyway, uh, there's been a resurgence of nice. uh, of him and, and all his stuff. You can you can go on YouTube and you can watch hours of Bob Ross. But people have been so stressed out from the coronavirus deal. That there's been a resurgence in Bob Ross. Not that he's ever really gone away. He's just uh, he's more popular right. than he's ever been. And That's it was awesome. Just an article today that I read about, and I said, you know, and so you and Bob Ross just kind of, you know, make me all mellow. <laughs> you know what's cool though is you brought up a good point though. Content lasts forever. You know, with stuff you put down, it lasts as long as the media that stores it is available. You know, the internet is going to be outliving us in some form or another. And I think it's kind of cool that you've got this body of, what are you, like 44, 40, 45 podcasts right now? Yeah, 45 uh, podcasts, episodes. releasing on one as we're recording this right now. So I mean, I mean that's just like amazing. It's like a legacy of information. And so you're preserving the information from all these cool people that you interview and just the fun stuff that you do. So it's, it's kind of a fun thing, and I'm, I'm glad that we're able to do this type of stuff. And I wanted to, you know, on my podcast, we often talk about some pretty esoteric stuff, but you guys um, – I think you guys are a little more broad, but then you have these guests that have special interests. But what is your, both you guys, what is both your favorite area of the hobby right now? Do you have an area that you're like really into or, or is it, does your interest stay consistent over time or change? It, you know, over the years, I, I've, I've gone back and forth. Uh, right now, I'm really into shrimp. Uh, I've got a, couple of mm -hmm. I got a couple of customers that take a huge amount of shrimp. Uh, what I like about it is because I'm lazy is that uh, there's not a whole lot of work to go into shrimp, and, and they breed quite nicely. Uh, you can go for the weekend, not worry about them. Um, water quality, you know, you do a couple changes here uh, a month and stuff, and it, and it goes really well. But when I first started out, I started out with angelfish, and at one time I had over 120 pairs of angelfish. And oh, wow. that's a lot like milk and cows. I mean, you're constantly there twice a it's day, something. seven days a week, feeding like, uh, baby brine shrimp. And uh, it was always my my thought that I was going to raise all these angelfish and become you know a millionaire, and that didn't work <laughs> out so much. But um, the math doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know the nice thing about angelfish, 
lay eggs. You can get two, 300 per spawn. They lay eggs every 10 to 15 days and you can produce mm -hmm. a lot. And so for like bread and butter type stuff, you know, if people are just getting into it, that's a great thing to start raising for your, your local pet store. But, mm -hmm. you know, over the years, uh, my mom uh, kind of got me into the hobby and she was into guppies. We probably had about 75 bowls of guppies in wow. the house and um, just had just great success. So w when I first got um, sucked into the business, per se, my local uh, five and dime store, which was a Ben Franklin, for those who uh, know what that is, uh, they, they were selling tropical fish. And they said, man, we can't get decent guppies to live. And they said, oh, uh, wow. they said, uh, can you raise us guppies? Because I was one of their biggest customers. And I said, oh, heck mm -hmm. yeah, I can raise guppies. And that's why I lost my first $8,000 was raising guppies <laughs> exactly what is the old thing about you're, you're going to make a small fortune by spending a large one or something pretty like that. pretty accurate that's, that's the aquarium that's the aquarium industry in general but you know it's funny i came from a guppy household too my dad raised delta tail guppies and that was my first exposure to fish when i was probably you know two and a half three years old and you know literally grew up with them so guppies and it's funny because i haven't kept a guppy in a long time and i'm itching to do it again do you, do you ever go back to guppies or are you like just nope i'm shrimp now and that's it you know I, i've tried guppies from several different sources and, and just don't have a lot of luck um i i've imported them from sri lanka from malaysia um mm -hmm. right now it's hard to get guppies in that'll actually um hold together i mean um the, the, really? the best luck I get is, is from Florida, but you, uh, a lot of their stuff that they're bringing in, you have to, uh, is imported. It's hard to find mm -hmm. true Florida guppies, but if you find a good strain of guppies, man, stick with it. And, uh, you know, it's very, very rewarding. Uh, and to yeah, give I, to give a touch of background with Jimmy as well is you know, Jimmy's been wholesaling for uh, many years in different businesses. That's how it kind of got started out. So, mm -hmm. you know, he has to deal in numbers because you can find right. – High-end guppies. You know, there's crazy places like Twin uh, – what was it? Twin Cities Guppies. Oh, yeah. It's world-renowned on, you know, high-quality guppies. But you're paying, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking $150 a trio, whereas we're right. we're trying to fill pet stores. So trying to source right. quality at uh, at least a small volume is very, very difficult. So hold on to those. You know, everybody has like a, like a family heirloom guppy strain. You know, hold on to right. them. Yeah, it, it's right. very tough to find a good, a good strain. But at one time, I, I did have um, seven 300-gallon ponds in a basement. I had oh, wow. I, I finally found some pretty good guppies. I had very good luck with them. I probably had 1,200 females. Uh, we were netting out approximately, you know, 700 um, guppies daily, seven days a week. And, wow. And we weren't getting them all. And that went very well. And then, of course, we brought some stuff in, didn't follow our own advice, didn't quarantine. Oh, no. Didn't quarantine. And <laughs> Oh, yep. That's all it takes. Yep. Yep, that, that, that's, that's, that's a great lesson right there for quarantine. I mean, I've seen a lot of people go down that road, unfortunately, too. It happens. It only takes one mistake. You know, that's the funny thing. No matter whether you're super experienced or an outright beginner, nature doesn't care. <laughs> you screw something up, it's going to kick you in the ass. Yeah. And 100%. a good lesson right there. Yeah. You know, but, I've, I've said but, on our, our podcast quite a few times that, that uh, the best advice I got, um, there was a, a gentleman, his name was Paul Norton from uh, Norton Tampa Bay Fisheries down in Tampa, mm -hmm. Florida. And, you know, he, he told me um, two things. He, he said, you know, uh, you can keep a healthy fish healthy, but you can't get a sick fish healthy. <laughs> Good point. And uh, Good point. pretty accurate. And he then also said, you know, you can learn, uh, you want to learn from other people's mistakes because it doesn't cost you as much. 
And that <laughs> was probably the best advice advice. I ever got in 30 years. That was my first, uh, after I lost the 8,000 bucks in about a year, buying guppies and watching them uh, fall apart. I yeah. uh, I actually took a trip down to Florida kind of as a last ditch effort to be educated. You know, you think you know what you're doing. Then right. uh, then you, you find out you don't nothing about the business. I went down to Florida, uh, met with the fine folks at Seagrass Farms, uh, Elwood Seagrass, who owns Seagrass Farms, uh, friend, mm-hmm. uh, golfing partners with Paul Norton. Uh, oh, very cool. Introduced me to him, went to his uh, – when it went to his farm, saw how easy it was. Um, or not easy. I shouldn't say easy. Easy is a bad word. Simplistic. I think how is simplistic. The word you're for. Yeah, simplistic. Right. How, how those guys, you know, they're using five gallon uh, tanks that I still have the stainless steel rims on them. And I'm looking at these things and I said, well, why would you use those? He goes, they hold water, don't they? And he was 100% <laughs> correct. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And so you, you, you learn that if, you want, if you're going to have two, 300 tanks, uh, you're gonna have to do it, uh, you know, heat the room and do it as simplistic as as possible, and not spend a bunch of money. I mean, because you could spend easily a hundred dollars per tank, getting it, you know, set up the way you think it should be. But you know, over there, they they've got tanks, no tops, no gravel, a sponge it's filter. About making money. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about turning turning I mean, profit. But yeah, to, to sum the up in, the, the tangent there, Jimmy, you uh, you normally known for angelfish. I mean, you've had a clearly a long history with guppies, but Shrimp is definitely forte right now. Yeah, the shrimp is is just something that that's simple. Um, you know, everybody's busy with with uh, things in their lives with either you know kids, grandkids, uh, jobs, right. uh, COVID, and to be able to have something that that's pretty rock solid. Um, once they're established, uh, you know, we we've learned so many things on this podcast from other people, and uh, you know, shrimp like tanks that are a little skanky. And right. uh, I think that's the word, isn't it, Robs? Skanky? Uh, no, no, no. That's an actual, that is the correct uh, word, I believe. Is yeah. it? We, we got it from the yeah, botanical I, guy himself. So yeah. We yeah, just, we just make a meme. For, we but get, you know what's funny is a lot of shrimp people are really anal. Like if you go on the shrimp sites, the, you know, the dedicated forums, which I tend not to do that much, but I occasionally I'll pop in. The, those guys are really anal about they're they're terrified of trying anything new that deviates from what they're doing. So I, it, is it just the fancy, fancy varieties that are? touchy or is it is there just a little technique you learn and once you learn it you're good or so i think i can take this one because uh, jimmy still yeah, has uh, issues with some breeds so there's neo cardinia and cardinia is essentially the two decorative dwarf shrimp the the popular uh, varieties there's other mm-hmm. shrimp like bamboo shrimp or mono those right. are not what we're talking about here those are what we call like rock solid shrimp these uh, right. other like neo cardinia and cardinia um that they have two different you know ph essentially requirements and as long as you're matching that, you got to use RO water on uh, some of them. You got to um, have things that soften the water, like natural botanicals, clay, bo- uh, was that volcanic ash clay that to yeah. help? Yeah. So they, they take just a little bit more water quality. But once set up, it just runs and it runs well. No heater, very simple filtration, if any. And, uh, you know, thorough water changes like anything else. But yeah, once you get them going, they're essentially like a little, uh, almost like a hive, a colony. And uh-huh. they'll just keep it's reproducing. Self-sustaining. 100%. Now, where do people run into trouble with them? I mean, you always hear, again, some of these hardcore shrimp hobbyists, they think they act like they're so touchy and delicate and they're worried about TDS and this. And I mean, I've always been a big RODI water user. I mean, that's that's all I use. The water here in Los Angeles is like stalactites out of the, <laughs> the faucet. It's really hard and alkaline. So to do anything other than African cichlids, reef tanks, you really want to use some kind of, you know, 
reverse osmosis or whatever, but are shrimp that sensitive to, you know, water, uh, alkalinity, pH and so forth? They, they certainly can be. And, uh, it really comes down to what your, your water parameters for, uh, for pH is because you can like fish, most fish, you, you would almost attempt to ignore pH and it's just about how slow you can acclimate a fish. Like even discus, right. I'm running discus right now. At what eight point four? Yeah, eight two eight four. Yeah. That is that is not textbook way you run discus, right, but it, right. it works. And to do that, you know, I had to start with you know first eighty percent RO, then seventy percent, and every time I do a water change, just gradually move them into that pH. So shrimper right. not necessarily that way. So the neocardinia, if you're going to get into short colored shrimp, neocardinia are more forgiving. They have a uh, they're a lot less delicate. They can handle a lot harder water. You don't have to do that clay bottom. You instead you can do mm-hmm. you know sand, gravel, um, whatever you will. They take a little more of a beating, but they also don't have the patterns normally. At most, they'll just have bands, which is called really. Um, mm-hmm. They really don't take the the beating, but uh, the cardin uh, excuse me the cardini are the ones with the patterns. You see tiger varieties. Um, they call crystal red shrimp, and those are right. the ones that are more delicate. They they want that softer pH. They want uh, things to to be set, and food is always difficult with shrimp, especially with the more uh, delicate cardinia varieties. And mm-hmm. you got to remember, the shrimp hobby hasn't been going but since the mid '90s, early '90s. Yeah, something like that. That's it? basically when right. it started. As far as like serious hardcore, you mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. And the shrimp are detritus eaters, so just putting in right. flake doesn't necessarily cut it. They'll eat it, but they need a better staple. So now we're finally getting to the point where this. You know, uh, close to 25 years in information is still not really released to people online. And interesting. There's only a Why handful of people that make decent food. Um, you know, shout out to Shrimp King. It's a whole line mm-hmm. uh, made mm-hmm. by the Shrimp King himself. And yeah. it just breaks down the moment you put it in the tank and falls apart like it's already pre done naturalized detritus. But to set up a shrimp tank, you need to set it up for like two weeks and make sure there's algae and detritus already growing in the tank so they self sustain. And make sure you have those botanicals in there, uh, leaves that are breaking apart, cholo wood, cones, you know, stuff like that to really get them going. But beer cans. Yeah, the cardinia. <laughs> oh, that's right, your beer cans. Beer yeah. cans. <laughs> this is Minnesota. We're, we're trying to re- recreate, right, exactly recreate the lake. Now, do you think that maybe part of the reason why there's this mystique around these shrimp is because there's a lack of patience on a lot of maybe new people that are getting into it? There's a lack of patience on the part, in other words. Oh, they don't want to wait the two weeks. They want to just be able to dump their shrimp in, enjoy it, and boom, you and know, they die. And yeah, shrimp are touchy. Do you think that's part of responsible for that? Or I want to believe that, but I, it's something much more sinister. And that's frankly why we started the podcast is because <laughs> um, the, the three people that are on the podcast, it's me, Jimmy, and then there's another gentleman. He's like our, what, Cliff from Cheers? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's a good way to describe him. <laughs> Adam Elnishar. And we're all from a different subset of, you know, deep in the hobby. Uh, Jim has been doing the wholesaling for years. Adam owned a massive pet store in northern Minnesota for many years. And me, I've done a lot of the online sales uh, presence for a few years. And I'm kind of more the exotic collector of the group. I try Mm -hmm. to have at least one of everything under my belt. So we come from both the, you know, all different angles on the podcast. And we all wanted to get together and make a podcast just to share the hidden information that no one wants to share. And the shrimp hobby is the best thing that uh, really sets it apart. Shrimp. 25 years now uh, rotating in the hobby, and you still can't just simply pull up a Wikipedia page of 
here's yeah. how to start your shrimp tank. It just it's not there. It's hidden information. Yeah. And it's not because someone's impatient. Maybe there are those people out there that don't want to wait two weeks to start a tank. Yeah. But it's more of the information's not out there. So they treat it like another fish. They don't know the small, easy caveats to take care of a shrimp or, you know, food choices because the right. information is not shared because our hobby moving online and seeing all these online sales, how anybody can sell online, you know, they used to be able to mm-hmm. do their Facebook groups, for instance, really right. changes that if I have a cool shrimp, that's now my, you know, intellectual oh, property that I've yes. read and me telling yep. you anything of how to breed them and care for them is pulling away from my potential dollar line. Uh, you're making me sick, but that's, I, I understand that that's, that's part of why I got out of the coral propagation industry. It was becoming that, you know, the Facebook groups and the named frags of this and ridiculous prices. Of it. You know, people didn't develop a strain of coral. Coral grows naturally. The colors change based on the conditions you give it, but people would, you know, call it a, you know, whatever aquaphora or whatever and super high price for a little tiny frag or something and lots of secrets behind it. And, and that's the thing in the hobby that probably pisses me off the most right now is a lot of people keep these secrets for the sphere of giving up some proprietary thing like you know like you said like oh i don't want to tell you how i developed the strain because you might try to to, to steal my market or whatever as if as if you know 90 percent of the people out there are going to are in it for profit they're just in it for recreational enjoyment and i just i find that fascinating you see that in a lot of areas of the hobby don't you see that in plants and fish breeding and oh of course I, it's, I just, it's every asset to me it's every asset that's happened. And there's stuff that I was raised on aquariums for my grandmother. My grandmother still gave me like a 1950s copy of the Axelrod uh, guide yes. to a fish. And she's got her handwritten uh, notes in this thing, right? Yeah. And there's stuff in there that's been published for years that the information on its own has been recessed in the hobby. Yeah, and I it, it, it's I, I try to pinpoint, you know, every line of the hobby, like shrimp, as a fairly new one, but take some of these uh, prior ones. There's ways or breeding methods that we haven't used because it's just not simply shared or it's, it's old recess information and people have moved online. We had the crash in the aquarium industry, what I like to call the crash in the aquarium industry from uh, September 11th. That's when the airlines hit and then it followed up by a recession in 2008. So a lot of the you know pet stores were affected and we no longer have the mass amount of mom and pop shops we have. And then everything right. – recessed to online so online's yeah. uh, you know a double-edged sword it's a fantastic way to find communities that's how we got this podcast we have our own discord community with you know hundreds of followers very and active yeah we're, we're very blessed but it's just those recessed pockets of information continually get held by what uh, we assume to be experts because they're trying to withhold information due to risk of losing their special product line and that's why yeah, I- our podcast is we're lucky enough to pull in experts. You know, Jimmy has been doing this for years. I have a lot of connections. Even Adam's got a bunch yeah. of connections and we've had, you know, specialized breeders, award winner breeders come on our show mm-hmm. and tell secrets that, you know, literally don't get it told anywhere else. You know, I still, That's awesome. I, I'm still so uh, Rob used the word blessed and, and we really, you know, we started this podcast. It was just us guys jibber jabbering. Literally, episode one is just us. That was our test shoot. Yeah. And we just aired our test shoot with with nothing on it. Right. And it worked. It worked. And um, we like to jab fun at each other, and uh, we, we can take a hit, you know. And, uh, right. But our first guy that came on, Rob's got a hold of uh, Steve Rubicki from Angels Plus. He he came on. I've been buying stuff from him for 25 years. Um, 
And he said, we said, would you come on? He goes, yeah. And I, I, it floored me when Rob says Steve Rubicki will come on. I just, just lit up like a Christmas tree. Well, he's a guy that just for people to ask questions charges time because his angels are so in demand. There's a wait list and his pairs go for $600 a piece. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's very in demand. He's been, he's the one that kind of, I don't know if you want to say created, but he's the one that perfected uh, the Corey angel fish. Um, and, mm-hmm. and he's from angels plus, and he's been doing it his entire life. And That's he, awesome. he, he spent a, a good hour and a half with us talking and people were going like, Holy crap, you guys got him on there. But um, what we found out with that as this hobby that we're all involved in, there's a lot of great, great secrets that are, our, our guys have and finally we we found uh jim kitchen the the pleco king mm-hmm. he he's known I, I for know, yeah yeah you know jim kitchen he's known for uh, yeah. pseudocanthicus his work and he's done on many different species he's actually has a handful of species that only he's bred right and um uh, um god bless him he he he's got, got parkinson's disease and and he he knows um that his health isn't great and so he shared secrets with us it's awesome. And we said, can, can we put this on? He goes, absolutely. He said, I'm telling you this stuff because this stuff has got to be told. And and here's one secret that he had and that he told us, and we got so much feedback from people. And uh, it was just a blessing that he that he told us. This. So he had trouble breeding certain plecos. I can't remember which one it was, Rob. Was it? Well, he had these uh, special species that uh, were specially imported for him to try to figure out how to breed in captivity. Right. And they're, mm-hmm. these are large. They're not like your normal aquarium, you know, bristlenose pleco. They're like four big, inches big long. These are big boys. So normally you just get a, yeah, a cave and they essentially assess the space and, and go at it with either people make them out of PVC or you see these um, weird clay small ones. Or ceramic. Right. So Right. He had discovered that certain types of clay allow the female to breed when being absolutely crushed in the back because he was literally having females die in the breeding process. Because they're oh, of lack, because of lack of oxygen. And he found some certain clay. He contacted his local, what, university, wasn't it? Yep. And they made him out of this specialized clay he got imported. They uh, had a pottery class that made him massive caves. And actually That's was cool. lucky enough to get one when I went to OFR. So I'm I'm keeping that as a as a memento of some of the trade secrets that uh, we can, we can help expose, but that's, that's sort of the state of the state of the hobby and why we started our podcast. That's great. And you know, it's funny because I can relate to this. When I started Tannin Aquatics, it was, there was no, I mean, people used leaves and twigs and we've talked about this before. People have been using that stuff for years, but there was no central clearinghouse of information. There was no technique. There was no real knowledge on it. And when people have, like you said, people were trying to sell things, so it was all about keeping secretive and, you know, uh, giving goofy names to the products and stuff. When when the reality is, the stuff is found throughout the world, and it's a matter of applying it, utilizing it, finding good sources that are sustainable for it, etc. And what what happened with me was I realized the best thing to do to grow interest in something is to give away all the information you have for free, because no one owns in the information. You know, it, it, we need the hobby needs to advance. That's why I'm glad he came in and started sharing some secrets with you guys. Because how's the hobby going to advance if just one or two people hold on to it? I think that's a that's a big problem right now. That in a lot of areas of the hobby. I mean, that's why we met you, Scott. Uh, we had one of our <laughs> fans message us about your wonderful mm-hmm. content and about Tannin Aquatics, and we were already trying to look and trying to expose more of these aquarists because. You know, botanicals in the aquarium is not new, but it's certainly oh, still a hidden thing. People that start yeah. up an aquarium, you know, 
101 is put gravel, put your plastic decorations, maybe a plant, yep. and that's as good. Yep. But they're never told, hey, you Crystal probably should, water. You should do some almond leaves. Hey, brown water is not a bad thing. It makes fish go blood, right. you know? Well, there's there's perception. I mean, I think that was the problem I found with, with black water and botanical aquariums. This is a perception that when something looks different than what we're brought up to believe, that it's somehow bad. It's something dangerous. And, you know, there's so many mental shifts that people have to make when they're venturing into new waters. That's why it's fun to to hear about like shrimp guys and, you know, planted tank people, they have a lot of technique and these people are a little, some of them are a little more closed-minded, but most are very open-minded to any new ideas that still there's so much that's kept, so many mysteries, fish breeding in particular, there's so much good information out there and with pressure on, you know, the wild habitats and, you know, concerns about importing fish and so forth. It's, it's nice to know there's people that are working on these, uh, you'd, you'd love to see those stories get out there. hundred percent. Yeah. There's every time we do a podcast, every single time I learn something really, really cool. And uh, yeah. right now uh, we have our editor um, on with us too, Scrapjaw. And explain what you told us last night that we learned about, about the little clay bullets or the little clay things that you were telling us about last night. Oh yeah. I was, uh, I was down in West Virginia where one of our, uh, one of our friends, Dabby, it lives in uh, Point Pleasant. There's a little place called uh, Stucky's Guppies. I was talking to the guy about pH levels on tanks. And because where I am, my water is basically concrete. It comes out at 8.2 yep. out of the tap. So I was talking to him. And he said, well, uh, go get some potter's clay. I couldn't find like the terracotta red clay. It's got extra iron content because I'm looking to help my plants out. But I did find... A 25-pound block of pottery clay, pre-wetted, and uh, he said just roll them into little beads, about pea size, a handful of them to start with. Let them dr- sit in the sun and dry, or you can use your oven or whatever. But once you do that, you work them into your uh, substrate, and because clay has a natural acidity to it, it leaches slowly over time into the water, mm-hmm. slowly dropping your pH level down. So I've started doing that. Um, so we'll see how well that turns out. But that that's was something cool. he said. Yeah, that's, that's something, cool. That's something you're not going to find in a book. It's something you're not going to no. find going on an internet uh, internet how-to guide to get started for the first time. That's something that you're going to get from people trialing and erroring something in their tank and probably something that learned 20 years back that he just, he's not writing a book himself. No. And and you know, what's interesting too, when you talk about going online, you can't go online and find a lot of stuff. That's true. And a lot of stuff you can't find in the hobby literature, but if people just go a little further and go to like Google scholar or look for, and don't be intimidated by some of these scientific papers that are out there on a wide variety of arcane topics, you know, related to aquariums, but, but you know, like the wild habitat, stuff like that, you could find out so much incredible information that you could apply to the hobby. It's not even funny. The problem is you have to be able to read through a lot of stuff that may be a little bit alien to, you know, if you're not, you know, a PhD or a graduate level student. But if you start reading some of the stuff, you could find some amazing things out there about the habitats, about the diet of the fishes. I found so much great information. Some of it, you know, we can't quite interpret yet in the hobby. We just don't have the, the gear to test for things or whatever. But, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I think that's fascinating that it's hobbyists are at least putting this information out there too. And and when you mentioned stuff, you were saying about the Axelrod's book. Well, I, I kind of 
you know, used to read my dad's old books from the 50s and 60s. And there were some amazing books out there, uh, especially found one, the one that really started my lifelong love affair with water aquariums and stuff like that was called Aquarium Water Chemistry. And it was written by a guy named, his name was Geisler. He's a German guy. And this book was published in like 64, 65. It was a paperback, but written really well and easy to understand. And it talked about all kinds of special conditions. And, you know, it was like the, the first thing I ever read on basically biotopes or at least replicating conditions in natural habitats. And it never left me. And he had great information back in 1964 that if you put it out today, people would be like blown away by like, because stuff gets lost over time. I think. It sounds like you're exactly what you were mentioning. Yeah, or, or intentionally reclused. You know, that's that's right. worse. Yeah. We hope that things yeah, aren't it malicious, is. but it, it, it happens. You know, I'll, I'll throw something out really quick about, you know, talk about water quality. Some of the coolest water quality things I've ever read um, that was simple to read and I understood it because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a scholar. I, I know it's probably a shock, Rubs, but I'm, you know. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a guy named Joe Gargas, and he's down in the Tampa, oh, yeah. Tampa Florida. He holds... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he worked in the aquarium industry a long time. He sells a lot of stuff on Aquabid and uh, gives people free shipping. But Joe Gargas owns several U.S. patents on water quality. He's he's developed water systems for cities, and he offers a um, on his website. You can go on there, click for like it's it's not much. It's like five six bucks, and you can download the fifty pages of him talking about water quality and stuff. And it's just fascinating. And I I did that, you know printed it off on my computer and stapled it. I still have it to this day, but uh, th- there's so many people that, that just want to hide this stuff, but he's one of these guys too. We're saying, you know, here's, here's what I know. And he is very, very smart guy. So uh, check that out. If you want to go on, to, that's awesome. Go on his website, you pull up and it's, it's, I think it's, it's like aqua research center or something like that. Right. Yep. And, and he's a, uh, like I said, he owns several U S patents on different things like that. He is, he is a very smart guy. And, uh, He's got great fish. He, he sells uh, discus the size of a uh, your fingernail. He'll ship them right to your door. Wow. I've, I've gotten discus from him several times, and and he said, you know, the reason I sell discus this small is because of the acclimation to your water so much easier. And um, he puts them in breather bags and sends them right out to your door, but uh, and awesome. gi- and gives you free shipping. But uh, he's very very smart guy when it comes to water quality. Check it out. Super cool. That's a good one. I think a lot of our fans are going to be into that. Great. ResearchCenter.com. Go check that site out. Um, what are your latest projects? What are you guys working on? Oh, what am I? What besides? But you have some certain thing that you're working on right now. Like as in for production, or as in our own personal no, hobby? Fish. You're in a hobby. In the hobby. Oh, see, right now uh, I got a shrimp rack. Actually, it's inspired. I wow. uh, we have a sponsor on our podcast, Joe Shrimp Shack. Joe Shrimp Shack mm-hmm. um, is a small place in uh, Minnesota. Uh, towards the Twin Cities area, and he does a ma- great online presence. And I went to his place, and he, he I learned so much by going down there. And he has an immense amount of colonies of shrimp. And we're talking like high-end shrimp because there's so many different colors and varieties. Uh, shrimp are up to interpretation when color, pattern, and size that it's like artwork. You can get certain shrimp that will easily cost you a grand for one one shrimp. Yeah. So he's got a, a bunch of different shrimp that he breeds out, sells, and wholesales, and he does everything on racks and two and a half gallon aquariums. It's extremely simple. So two and a half gallon aquarium filled to the hilt with plants and botanicals. 
botanicals mm-hmm. are absolutely a must in these shrimp tanks and no heat each one has a basic you know small sponge filter and he does mm-hmm. water changes about once every two weeks maybe at once a week on some of the more touchy subjects and they're all sitting on this wonderful wooden rack with uh with some lighting that he uh, regulates um by moving the tank around so nice. if you if you have a corner that nice. you want more algae, you just kind of shuffle it just a little bit forward. The joy of small tanks. Absolutely. And it's just a beautiful yeah. system. So it inspired me. I went home. Jimmy helped me because I'm uh, carpentry illiterate. Yes, And we is. built a rack. <laughs> and it's going to have about 22, 21 two-and-a-half-gallon uh, nice. shrimp tanks. So that's been uh, one of my bigger projects. But I just got done with the recirculating system. You yep. know, nine, mm-hmm. ten-gallon tanks all flowing through in one sump. That's real fun. That's cool. Well, you know, it's funny because I was thinking the same thing. I want to build a – again, I'm carpenter, carpentry illiterate myself, but I, I was thinking the same thing. I think that it's fun when you have a, a limited amount of space and a lot of ideas to be able to execute in these smaller tanks and things around. I think what I was saying is this idea of a rack system is a great idea for a lot of hobbyists right now. I think that's something that more people should experiment with. Um, Using small tanks. Are you guys into small tanks or big tanks or what? what? Uh, Jimmy has a a, a shrimp. Uh, what do you say? Array down in your basement of uh, bigger twenties. I use twenty gallon longs because I like mm-hmm. they fit on my pallet racking. Um, I've had so many different types of racks. I've had metal racks, wooden racks. I like the pallet racking because I'm one of these guys that after six months I go, I don't like to set up. I'm going to switch it. And with pallet racking, you can take and adjust the shells very easily, and you can put a hell of a lot oh, of weight cool. on them. And so, like at our local uh, lumber place, it's called Menards. I don't know if you have that out mm-hmm. out there in LA. No, but I've I've heard of it. Yeah. But um, anyway, at, at Menards, you can get yourself an eight foot rack with four shelves uh, for about one hundred and fifty bucks. What is it made of? Is it a, like a plastic material, or is it like a metal? Or it's metal. It? Yeah, it's metal. it's oh, so generally steel. So yeah, so these are like what you see at like Home Depot where they have all the product on. Yes, on, it, that kind of a thing. It's steel. Nice. It's painted. It doesn't rust when it's painted. It, so it works very, very well. Me, but, I don't care about the size so much as I want them recirculating. I have a 125-gallon tall that's filled the hill mm-hmm. with plants, and it's all nano species, you know, endlers, raminos tetras, killifish, you know, and right. piles of shrimp. So I'm, I'm not necessarily get a big tank put in big fish, but I love the recirculating systems. If you can connect them together and have a way to tap them off when you need to quarantine a tank, it's wonderful. And it allows you to mix your botanicals. So you have one tank that's going to have a sand with some like calcium base in it, so you can spread the mm-hmm. calcium around the others. Another tank will have that clay ash bottom, so it keeps lowering your pH of all your tanks. You know, you can put a little bit of something in each, and if something is missing a balance, it just shares with the other tank. It's cool. It's like a big. It's like adds to the water volume of the overall system. Absolutely, and that way you yeah. can have different uh, you know biomes in the same tank with while sharing the pros and cons. So if you're putting you know a bunch of leaf litter in one. All those tannins are going to go to the other aquariums. Yeah, but none of the mess. You can right. keep it confined to one tank or, or whatever you want. Yeah, then, then I like that. Then you're down to one heater, one sterilizer. Um, the other thing I really like about Rob's system is that uh, a lot of times uh, baby shrimp, baby guppies, baby mollies will end up down in the sump. And he's got it cut off so they, so they can't get sucked into the pump. And uh, one of his wife's favorite thing to do is come down there and find all these babies. And she's got herself a, a <laughs> every big, day. She comes down and she and that's, had, he said that when I was a kid, my dad's tanks, I'd jump in the minute he walked through the door. Like there's a baby guppy stuck in the filter intake. It was a big deal. 
what what do you do in terms of maintenance? Like, is it one water change? Is it water changing from each tank? Do you, how do you how do you do an overall water change in this? Yeah. Well, most of the time, I mean, we're in Minnesota, so in the summer we lose water, in the winter we lose water. So, <laughs> I mean, it's either we're dry or humid, and the you know right. spring and fall is the only time we get a break. So, with that many tanks flowing over the top with no lids, that much recirculating water into a big sump, I I probably top off. What do you say, Jimmy? 10, 15 it, gallons every week? Yeah, I would say at least 8 or 10 gallons for sure. Yeah, so it, it's just oh, nice. a continual top-off is what it is. <laughs> and I'm lucky enough that there's almost no chlorine in my uh, city water. We don't drink the water here, but there's definitely no, uh, hardly any chlorine. So it's direct to the <laughs> sump, and it's not a whole lot of maintenance. It all goes through the overflow system into a soccer mat and filter, and it, mm -hmm. it's simple. I don't have to do much of anything because uh, the, the biomes that I have in each tank rely on snails, corridors, shrimp, um, a lot of, uh, you know, excess to clean the, the stuff. And then the overflow takes all the scraps out because I got good flow in all the tanks. So I'm, I'm real right. lucky. It's... And, of course, planted. I and, mean, and you don't want to leave a little you, bit of mess. And you have it set right next to a floor drain. So when he does, a, when he does do a big water change, he just siphons out of the Super sump. Easy. You know, and, and takes you know, oh, 25, yep. 30 gallons out of the sump and fills it back up, and, and uh, you've just done a water change in all, all the tanks. I mean, I got it so easy. My wife, that's fantastic. she just looks at the little marker that's on the sump. Like, here's, uh -huh. here's full. Here's where it needs. It's like a, a oil in your dipstick. I mean. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, that, to me, simple is better because if it's going to help you do regular maintenance, it's that much better. It's when things are hard, when, when the dipstick is not accessible, people don't check their oil. You know, same kind of mindset. Oh, um, I love cutting corners on the, those systems as well. Like I, we had to go through drilling holes and all these. 10 oh, gallon that tanks. was fun, wasn't it? Nine. Okay, That's we so fun. biscuit. Nine ten gallon tanks. All these ten gallons were old, so old tanks shatter when you drill them. So we went, we broke oh, seven yeah. tanks to drill nine. <laughs> so when we <laughs> did not a bad that, percentage I get. oh, it's not, it's not horrible. I mean, you could Hall go worse. Hall of Fame, but you know, I, I try to do everything myself. So the the bulkhead um, overflows, the, the filters on on them, I three D printed, mm -hmm. made my own design on CAD. Oh, cool! Printed them out; they work great. The lights are just these thrown away shop lights that were in a dumpster. Yep. And I converted That's... them to LED, and they're way too bright. But I have them on a seven hour timer, so it works great for all the plants nice. and botanicals. Um, it's just yep. you know, find ways to effectively without cutting the health of your fish. You know, save some money. You know, they call it bricolage. It's using what you got. And it's a French term. I discovered this word not long ago, and I'm calling <laughs> this term. Basically, yeah, it's basically, you know, utilizing what you've got to create something really cool. And that's, hobbyists are great at that. But I mean, what you did is like, you, you maximized that art right there. What do you guys think about, since we're talking about maintenance real quick, what do you think about detritus? And I'm not talking about fish poop or I'm not talking about uneaten food. I'm talking about like the stuff that accumulates at the bottom. Does, it, does that freak you out a bit? I, I'm willing to say it probably doesn't. But what, what is your guys, with Jimmy, and especially being a big breeder, what, what do you think about that? Is the tritus an enemy or a friend or is it food? What is it to you? You know, to me, it's just part of the natural system. And it, yeah. it, it doesn't scare me when it gets when it gets a little crazy and a little unsightly. I'll go in and, and take some out and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's all part of the natural system. And uh, for me, it doesn't bother me a bit. It's something to measure. If you have, it depends on your tank. If you have a full-on ecosystem, which is what I focus on in my tanks, I have right. to have stuff that 
Number one, you're going to move the detritus. So the detritus decays correctly and it's not leaving gas pockets in your tank. You have to know if it's what type of detritus it is. If it's leaf litter, you know, normally just biological just pieces that are going to break down naturally. Or, you know, is it mass amounts of, uh, you know, fecal matter or, you know, dead, uh, dead remaining food? food? You know, yeah. you don't have to know what it is. So you can do a best guess on what that bio load is going to do to your tank. Because, you know, adding ammonia to your tank is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just part of the cycle. You just want right. to make sure you're not crashing. So if you have something like right. a recirculating system, the Tritus is wonderful because it's ever forgiving and it's uh, essentially food for a lot of the other tanks. Exactly. If you have exactly. a single tank bare bottom and all you have is like one breed of fish or two, that's a problem. You have to fight yeah. detritus because you're not set up. Like I have discus in a bare bottom tank. There's a tritus in the corner I miss, and uh, I lost one. You know, sure enough, it created too much ammonia. It spiked because extra food got in a the corner they couldn't reach. I didn't see it. Yeah. And, you know, it is what it is. You do water changes quickly. You try to correct it. But having something that uh, is going to, you know, poke in those corners to make sure that your detritus is moving is the best thing I could recommend. And detritus is just part of the system. Yeah, I, I love that answer because I'm a big believer in that myself. I think that detritus has been vilified for so long. And working with botanicals and, and, and so forth, a lot of stuff breaks down. You're going to get decomposing material accumulating. In the it's not necessarily a bad thing. And then the beautiful thing about nature or natural systems, it doesn't waste anything. Like you said, it's okay to have a little ammonia at times. Something's going to utilize it. There's appropriate time for ammonia. We don't want it most of the time. But same with nitrate and phosphate. They're not the enemy that everybody thinks they are. I remember, I remember in doing a coral grow-up facility, we measured the water to keep zero phosphates, nitrate below five parts per million. I mean, you could give birth in those things, and our coral raceways, it was so sterile. And our coral looked like crap, and the reason was they were starving. Sometimes you have, when, when we mistakenly screwed up on husbandry and the, the phosphate level went up and the nitrate level went up, coral started looking amazing. I think we lost a lot in the hobby in the in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, maybe when it was a real big push towards lots of husbandry, big filters, and carbon, and all that stuff. And I almost wonder if letting a little more natural system, like your flow-through system that you're talking about, is a, is a better way to go for a lot of people, because it promotes stability and a, a more natural type of a, a biome. And, you know, it's not necessarily all for all biomes. If you're a monster fish keeper, if you're yeah, you big can. rich at Ohio Fish Rescue and have, you know, five-foot aeropyma, the yeah. detritus is an enemy because you don't have the sustainable ecosystem to take care of that massive amount of detritus. So you're trying to make a sterile uh, sterile system, but there's still ways of getting around it. There's still ways to botanic, uh, add botanicals to your, your uh, system. There's still large uh catfish that'll rough up the bottom making sure you're essentially flipping detritus there's ways to get yep. around it but uh you know know your biome yeah good point and and as a, as a breeder um any thoughts on that uh in other words a more natural breeding system as opposed to just a, a sterile bare bottom tank is is what do you think about that? Like a patio pond conversation we had just had yeah we, we did a patio pond podcast last night and a lot of great ideas came out, out of that. We we uh, we talked at length about filtration and um, what to do, what not to do. I personally think when you're doing like those pond patios and stuff, the, the fewer fish you have, the easier it is to take care of. Of course, you to keep your bio load down. But right. but you know, there again, when Rob's is a big plant guy, and, and the more plants you put in, the more you can have for fish. The more you can have, right? You know, depending on 
things like that. Um, we had Sean on for, with his 20 foot tank. We were, we were, uh, uh, his name is Sean Kramer. He has a 2000 gallon reef tank that he uh, built in his home and, uh, nice. quite, uh, quite the deal. And, um, yeah, we, we went over to his house. Uh, one of our friends works for him. He is a, uh, what would you say? Self-made millionaire. I think is how you'd put it. Sure. And uh, anyway, he's got a half a million dollars of coral in his tank. Yeah. And wow. and you would not believe uh, the lengths that they go to to make sure everything is perfect. And they are. Oh, I do. They are growing tanks. They're sending water samples to Germany every two weeks. Yeah, to Triton Labs. Probably yes. Analyzed with the ICPOES, which is like a real advanced water analysis. It's pretty amazing. It's like 32 different parameters they look at. Yep. Uh, yeah. It was that kind of investment. Yeah, it was it was so interesting. And and his he's got stuff on YouTube, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, the one thing we learned from him uh, with the corals about not having any dead spots. What did he have in there, Rob? 30, 28 or 20 or 30 uh, jets blowing the. Oh, the... Uh, I think it was a bit uh, north of that, but don't quote me. So when you have that long of a tank. You're not going to yeah, get you know flow to everyone. It's continual battle of flow. But just right. looking in the corners where he forgot to flow, a, a power head died, anything else, if they didn't have the micronutrients, the detritus in the water, anything else hitting those corals, it all failed. I mean, that's, exactly. that's, that's 101. So you have to have that uh, a material going not only in the tank, but moving on it. So having something that isn't perfect is the best way as long as it has uh you're knowing your biome for the for the ecosystem you know like what i mentioned i think you didn't get the point of the patio ponds is yep. you can try to breed live bearers in a tank um and the same person that'll take out and put it into a 55 gallon drum filled with plants and ignore it essentially will have mm -hmm. way better luck because they're going to yeah. forage they're going to eat detritus on their own the babies you're not going to feed the babies the babies are going to find the detritus as well you're just having right. better luck right. not touching it and, and exactly. then you get the added benefit of, of uh, mosquito larvae or bugs that fall in that aren't going to happen in your natural aquarium exactly and, and, and you know some of the some of the best aquariums i've ever kept botanical wise were just a bed of leaves nothing else and i tried the experiment of not feeding the actual fishes. In this case, I had a tank with green neon tetras, the little guys. And um, I kept that tank for almost a year with no supplemental feeding. They were feeding on the stuff that was growing on the, uh, on the leaves. And they were some of the healthiest fish I'd ever seen. And they actually spawned twice. So, you know, there's a lot to be said. Nature's resourceful. Fish are resourceful, too. And, and I, I, the outdoor pond thing is the classic example that patio tub or whatever you know man like I, I i think there's a lot to be learned by observing it more carefully and seeing what's going on in there can we duplicate that in an aquarium yeah there's so many incredible things that are online of people uh doing the outdoor uh, little patio ponds or whatever you want to call them and uh, i watched I, I saw a guy on there he, he had every size shape imaginable of uh, if it held water he had stuff in it and he had the most beautiful delta-tailed guppies and and the most beautiful mollies and different things out there. And he was talking about how simple it was and how he wasn't doing a whole lot to it. And I'm thinking about all the years that I've spent in, in tanks with special filters and feeding three times a day and all this stuff. And I'm going, I'm doing it wrong. 
you know, <laughs> and, and that's why these Florida fish farmers have so much, uh, I don't want to say luck, but so, so much uh, success, success results, yeah. you know, in, in the live, <laughs> in the live ponds. And uh, I've sat out there and watched them drain ponds. I've watched them and seed the ponds and uh, fill the ponds back up and put out these baby fish that you can barely see. And you, uh, a week later, you know, they're the size of your thumbnail and you go, holy crap, you got that kind of, of, of growth yeah. out of these fish. Um, got to visit uh, a place that, that was creating about 25,000 tiger barbs a week. And it was just incredible to see how fast these wow. things would grow. And, and yeah. what, what, what they were doing, going back to botanicals and whatnot, um, they had uh, five-gallon tanks that they brought in, and they had uh, two sets. They, they had uh, fe- males and females that were week A and males and females that were week B. And they would put uh, these tanks up on Monday, and they would go down to the creek or creek or river system that they had right there in Tampa, Florida. And they'd pump out about 2,000 gallons of natural water, which had a, a lower pH, a little bit softer. And they'd nice. fill, fill all these tanks in there, and they'd throw these tiger barbs in the tank that was a little bit uh, harder water, and they would spawn in two days. They uh, have, like, a stove brush in there that would collect all the eggs. And by Friday, the eggs were hatched, and they'd put them in a bigger vat, and then they would be in the vat for about a week, and then they'd go out to the ponds. And just to watch how simplistic they made it, you know, they had an old tractor that was probably worth about $300 when this old wagon with this huge uh, water pumps station on top of it. And they just went back and forth and back and forth. And what I found fascinating for myself is when I you go down in the Tampa area and you're in the natural waterway system, there's so many fish farms there. And when they pump uh, a uh, a pond dry, it goes into a, a canal, which actually ends up in the river system. And you can go down to the river system and see beautiful sword tails, angelfish, plecos, <laughs> just swimming in the natural river system. And uh, when I was down there, shame, yeah. And when yeah, I was, the local ecologists don't like that. But no, not at all. But uh, when I was well, I was there at, at, at uh, Norton Tampa Bay Fishery, there's a young group of uh, brothers, two brothers that came in. They're both driving brand new S10 pickups. And here's what their job was. They went down to the natural river system where the plecos burrow into the uh, side of the river. And, and they're wading in this river with sticks and waders. Uh, and this is a river system where there's, of course, you know, crocodiles, copperhead snakes, black widow right. spiders. And they go out there and collect the eggs because they quit breeding plecos um, in their own ponds because they're, they're so available out in the river system. They go out and grab the different size um, clusters of Pleco eggs, and they bring them in in five-gallon pails. These kids would go out there on a Saturday morning, and they'd collect Pleco eggs all day long. And I happened to be there Saturday afternoon when they came in. They must have had 40 different pails, five-gallon pails in the back of these two little S10 pickups. And uh, Paul says to me, he goes, would you like to help sort out sizes of these? And I said, sure, I, I want to get my hands wet. And we sorted out Pleco eggs for a little while, and, and their size of, you know, from a golf ball up to a baseball – and he paid them somewhere between ten to twenty five dollars per per cluster. Wow! And uh, you know he wrote him a check for for fifteen hundred dollars. What a great part time nice business. Thing. Yeah, and th- these are two brothers who are in high school that are out there collecting. Good for them. You know, and and Paul said he goes, yeah, I bought both these S ten pickups for these guys, but they've made me more money than I can shake a stick at. <laughs> And it's all that because is, it's in the natural water system. Jimmy, how dare you share these secrets? Oh, people yeah, are listening. They're going to document secrets. this. It's going to be on Wikipedia. Oh, sure. Yeah. Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bad, bad, bad. Wikipedia this. I'll punch you in the throat. How about that? There you go. <laughs>
That's my go-to line in our podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who wrote that stuff? No, guys, this is uh, this is really interesting stuff. Now, here's the part where I tell you that we have to do this again too. I, I have unfortunately have to cut short. I, I mentioned it to Rob, but uh, I want to do this again. I, I want to have you guys on in a better format where I'm actually got I have video and we can see everybody in a uh, little better setting. We can make um, faces at you. Yeah, we can make faces at me. I can make faces at you. Um, you can show me your ripped abs and whatever, <laughs> harass me. <laughs> but no, I want to do this again. I, I think you're giving our listeners a really great exposure to all kinds of different stuff that we don't normally talk about here. And I think that that's so important to get that kind of aquatic cross training where people are learning all different skills and different ideas. Uh, Jimmy, just, just hearing those ideas about you know, what the farmers are doing and how you ran that business uh, for a while and uh, Rob with the Brax system. I mean, there's so much there that I think we can all benefit. It's a lot of good information. That we need to talk more about these. Things. Well, again, Scott, so, thanks for having us on, man. And Oh, this is a pleasure. For those that are listening, you can come join our debauchery. You know, our whole idea is trying to share secret information. So that's gotten us in a lot of trouble. This- you know, we right there, talking. that's the ultimate recommendation right there. The fact that they're sharing secret information, you got to be in on that, guys. Yeah, there, there's certain, you know, uh, fish celebrities that have uh, completely blocked us. We we put out an episode about <laughs> jars that we still get continual feedback uh, on. Nice. We, we, we won't hold back, and uh, we're guaranteed that we're going to make you laugh somewhere in our podcast. So give us a, a check out. That's why I like you guys so much. You don't, hold, you don't hold back, and you've got enemies. What more could a guy want? I mean, that's that's the best kind of a podcast. And how we make you Good laugh job. is we show you our balance in our checkbook. It's like <laughs> right, that, twelve dollars, yeah, huh? Anybody, you guys are rocking yeah, it pretty a, hard. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a pretty serious uh, serious income right there. Yep. But no, guys, it's been a pleasure having you on the tent, and uh, we're, we're definitely gonna do this again. Could I get you back? We'll do it a little little more formal setting if that's all right with you. Absolutely, and, we'll wear uh, pants next great. time. Great, looking forward to it. Great conversation, and uh, again, thanks for uh, for you know taking the time to, to deal with my schedule. And if everybody that knows me knows my schedule's crazy lately, and, and uh, basically for my own fault. But uh, I, these poor guys, I've been I've been putting this off for a long time simply because I haven't had a good place to do it. But uh, we're gonna do more of this stuff coming up, and I'm looking forward to more of these types of podcasts. And they're gonna teach me how to do a more professional podcast for sure. But uh, again. Uh, boys, thanks for having me, and thanks for being on the show, I guess we'd say. And uh, look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint, and see you guys on the next uh, podcast with the Aquarium Guys. So thanks again. Now, before we leave, I want to try your outro, right? Cause, oh, uh, my outro. Okay. I, I love your outro. Go for it. So uh, okay, go for it. stay informed. Stay honest. Yeah. Don't keep secrets. Yes. And above all else, stay wet. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? That's a good. That's a good one. It's always our favorite. Well done, well done. With almost a straight face, I'm sure. So, well, we're we're selling that T-shirt on on online on our our podcast. Stay wet. Yeah, stay wet. We we stole it from you, and you're not getting any money. That's cool. No, but I want to get the T-shirt. You really have. I I get it. That's great. We got to sell those. That'd be fun. I would love to love to offer your (laughs) T-shirt. Thanks, guys. Thanks again. It was a lot of fun, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Bye bye. Thanks, God. Bye bye.